Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, good to see you all, and uh, welcome if you are visiting us uh, today. It's really good that you've uh, joined us. Really grateful uh, that you have done that. And uh, yeah, please have the passage open in front of you. Uh, turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 so that uh, you can follow along and look, look at the passage as we, uh, as we dig in it, into it together. Um, it's a challenging one. We need God's help, uh, but I trust you will be with us, and thank you, uh, Peter, for praying. Uh, we're going to begin uh, today with some stats, put them up here on the screen. Half uh, of the adult population of the UK watched online pornography during the pandemic. Uh, the UK's most popular pornography site attracts 3.5 billion visits globally every month. 3.5 billion which is more than Netflix or Amazon. Uh, 75% of parents thought their child hadn't watched online porn, but 53% of their children reported that they had. By age 44, 95% of people have had sex outside of marriage. That's a stat from the States. And then lastly, 25% of married men and 18% of married women have committed adultery at least once during their marriage. Pretty shocking set of statistics, isn't it? It's pretty eye-opening, perhaps, uh, to the kind of reality that sexual immorality is very prevalent uh, and apparent in our society today. Uh, these stats, you know, they're not—they're not made up. They're, there's research behind them. Uh, they're very challenging. They're, they're quite—they're quite strong, aren't they? Uh, surely, though, of course, things are different in the church, aren't they? Well, here's a couple of other stats for you. And it's different, but it's not perhaps quite what you'd expect. Here's another one from Premier Christian Magazine. Uh, more than half of Christian men and around a fifth of Christian women in the UK are using porn on a regular or semi-regular basis. And then in a survey of users of an app that's used to arrange extramarital affairs, 25% of the users called themselves evangelical Christians. Now I'm aware that's a broad category, that doesn't necessarily mean they're all sort of, you know, church-attending, Bible-believing Christians, but all the same, even if those statistics are not really, you know, completely accurate, there's something that maybe should alert us to this reality, something that could, should concern us, that actually the church is not immune to sexual immorality, uh, just like the church in the time of 1 Thessalonians, uh, as we're going to see in the passage today. Uh, we've been looking through the book together. Uh, we've been seeing how Paul, uh, along with Silas and Timothy, have been writing to the church there and seeking to encourage it, seeking to find out uh, what's been going on. If you, if you know the background from Acts, they, they went to Thessalonian, Thessalonica, sorry, and they spent really quite a short time there uh, sharing the gospel, only a few weeks, and the church, a, a new church was kind of born, uh, and, and really, you know, God was working in, in brilliant ways there. But actually they had to leave pretty quickly uh, due to a riot in the city. And you just read through these early chapters again, you see there's a great concern for the church. But they want to see that the church is, is flourishing. And they're encouraged to hear. Uh, last week, if you were here, we saw that Timothy had gone to find out and came back with good news that the church was still following Jesus, was standing up against the persecution uh, and uh, yeah, really encouraging. They were giving thanks for all that was good uh, around the church. But uh, actually, we also read in verse 10 of chapter 3, we read it earlier, that actually they wanted to go back because they said that we want to supply what is lacking in your faith. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we start to see. 
in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, we see that Paul says, Paul says that I've given you all these instructions on what it means to live to please me. And you're doing this. He was encouraging them to keep doing it, do it more and more. You see that at the end of verse 1. But at the same time, there are things that the church maybe hadn't understood or needed correction about, things that were lacking. Uh, And the rest of the letter, I think, addresses some of those things. Uh, And we have two kind of key things in this passage uh, that we're looking at today that are really appropriate for our time and place and really appropriate for us as well. So we're going to look at that. Uh, We're going to focus really on verses 3 to 8 in particular. We're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about the end of the chapter as well. But the first heading is the same as as what Paul says in uh, verse 3. Avoid sexual immorality. Avoid sexual immorality. Verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now the Greek word behind the word sexual immorality is the word porneia. It's where we get the phrase pornography from. It's the kind of root of that word. And it basically meant any type of illegitimate sexual activity. Uh, The Bible uses it to describe sexual sin in particular. So Paul's really clear. He's saying, look, Christians should not be doing this. They need to avoid this. They need to not engage in sexual sin. It's really important to to see that actually in the context of that time, that would have been a really radical instruction. If you look at verse 5, you see what, what, what it was in that culture. It says, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. People who didn't know God, they, had, they didn't have the same standards. And actually for the non-believing community around them in that city, uh, sexual immorality just wasn't really considered to be wrong in the same way. It was a normal aspect of life to many. Uh, I found a quote as I was preparing. This is from a, a, just a philosopher at the time. This is what he says. Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure. Concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us in legitimate children. And that was kind of, you know, that's what they did. But he was just explaining that's, that's how things work. Can you imagine? That, that is the attitude of the world around this church. That's the attitude maybe they had themselves before they became Christians. It's no wonder, is it, that Paul says that they really need careful instruction in this area to avoid sexual immorality. And he gives a number of reasons uh, in this passage about why it's so important to avoid. Uh, Let's look through them briefly with me. Uh, Why it's vital to avoid. In verse 6, we see that they could be taking advantage of others in their church family. Particularly that there was the potential for maybe committing adultery or having sex outside of marriage, uh, maybe if they hadn't been married yet. And that could have done huge damage, for obviously for married couples or for future uh, husbands and wives where there's been damage done in the past and it was probably happening at least in some cases in the church for Paul to pick up on that in particular they were supposed to be loving each other they were supposed to be honoring each other honoring their brothers and sisters in Christ uh, recognizing God's good designs for sex they were supposed to be standing up for those things rather than maybe destroying relationships and falling into those sort of sins We also see in verse 6 that God will punish uh, this wrongdoing. It talks about how the Lord will punish those who commit such sins. We know that the Lord is the holy judge of the world. We know that all sin is serious and sexual sin too is really serious. It will be treated as such when God comes in judgment. So it's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be ignored. 
we also see in verse 8 that it is a rejection of God. God has called this church to live differently. They belong to Christ now. They don't belong to the world. And so if they ignore this instruction, it's not just kind of ignoring what Paul's saying. Paul says, no, you're rejecting God. God is the one who has made sex for his good purposes. You shouldn't be abusing it. You, need to, you don't want to be rejecting the, the God who has saved you. So there's some, kind of maybe some of the negative reasons why they need to avoid it. They, he also gives some positive reasons. Because they were called to holiness. We see that in verse 7. He, God called us to, to live holy lives, he says. They were saved by Jesus not to, to, to carry on in their selfish, sinful, lustful desires. They were saved to give glory to God. Now, Paul, remember, Paul was like a father to them. We see that in chapter 2. He had encouraged them to live lives worthy of God. And this is sort of following on from that. So that there's a new standard for you to follow in your lives based on God's love for you. It's a joy, it should be a joy to live differently, perhaps, to the culture around them. They also had the Holy Spirit. Also in verse 8, God gives you the, his Holy Spirit. So he didn't just say, just be holy. He gave them his Spirit so that actually living a holy life was possible. They had the power to be different to those around them. It's an amazing gift from God that he gives us his Spirit. If they were continuing to, to, to uh, give in to sexual temptation and sexual immorality, it's like they were just throwing that gift away, not taking it seriously. And then, of course, uh, we saw in verses 3 and 4, they were called to be sanctified, called to be self-controlled. That was God's will for them, to grow and grow in holiness. That's, that's really what being sanctified means, to be growing more like Christ. And a really important part of that, do you see it in verse 4? It is self-control, controlling your own body, it says, in a way that is holy and honourable. You know, working hard, fighting your sin, so that we're in control of our bodies, so we can honour God. Sexual desire, sexual urges can be very strong, but God gives the strength to resist uh, immoral activity. It's important, I think, for us to be clear about why Paul is so concerned about this. It's portrayed in a negative, you know, it's, it's a negative thing. He's saying, don't do this, because actually, because sex is such an amazing gift from God. The Bible is really clear that actually within marriage between a man and a woman, it's a wonderful gift. It's a, it's a good thing because it's, it's the giving of, uh, of each other. Uh, you're giving yourself to, to another. You're, in, you're enjoying each other in that special relationship. So actually it is possible and it's good to glorify God uh, with our sexual relationships. Maybe that sounds strange. I don't know. I feel like in our culture often... Any mention of sex, suddenly we feel dirty, we feel like it's inappropriate, we feel like it's wrong. And that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says actually in the right context, in the right place, sex is a good thing. And we need to frame all of what we're thinking about this, more, this afternoon in light of that, I think. In light of the whole of scripture that actually sex is a good gift from God. It's to be enjoyed in the right way. Which means sadly it can often be marred by sin. It can be abused, it can not be used in the right way. And that's why Paul says, look, don't do this because it's such a precious thing. And you need to put God first before your bodies, before your sinful desires. You need to trust the Spirit. You need to flee from immorality. Friends, do you see that, that all the reasons that Paul gives uh, why it's vital for them to avoid, they're just exactly the same, just true for us today as well. 
We live in a culture, I start with those statistics, where sexual immorality is the norm. It's celebrated, it's joked about. And it can be really easy for us to fall into that, those attitudes of not taking it seriously, maybe not fighting it like we should. We need to take Paul's command. We need to grow in self-control and learning to fight these things. So how do we do that? How, what does that look like for us? I've got four things to suggest today that maybe as a starting point, just a helpful way to, to begin that, that sort of thought process with those, those conversations. Here's the first point I want to say. That it is a battle for many of us. It's a battle for many of us. Now I reckon it's probably quite an easy thing for us to view the struggle a bit like this. You've kind of got two separate categories. You've got sexual sinners on one side and everyone else on the other side. Uh, and it'd be very, it's very easy for us to kind of go, oh, like, you know, like the Pharisee in the temple going, oh God, I thank you so much that I'm not like that person. I'm not like that sexual sinner. Thank you so much. And actually that's quite unhelpful, I think, because we just end up judging each other. And those who are really seriously struggling in this area, they feel unable to ask for help. They feel alone, they feel powerless, and judged and helpless and trapped. I think it may be more helpful to view of it as a spectrum. It's a spectrum of, of struggle. It varies, of course, in intensity and seriousness. Maybe at one end you've got things like serious pornography and masturbation addiction. Things like adultery and, and prostitution and all those sort of things. Where someone might be engaging in those and feel trapped without any escape. And then maybe on the other end you've got things like occasional lustful thoughts or, or occasionally when our eyes linger and go beyond just admiring someone's beauty and go deeper and perhaps more lustful. And you can imagine, can't you, in between that there is a huge spectrum of, uh, of varying levels of struggle and severity and intensity. Maybe it's being caught in frequent fantasy about someone that is not your spouse. Maybe it's that kind of temptation just to keep channel hopping late at night, hoping that something might come up. There's all sorts of things that, that maybe fit on that scale. And in some sense, maybe it's hard to judge the seriousness. But let's be honest, some may probably are more serious, some have more consequences. But that's not to say oh, it's okay at the other end of the spectrum. That's not the case, is it? But, but ultimately, what I want us to say is actually probably most of us are struggling in some sense along this line. And actually, we, need, we all need God's help. We need God's spirit to fight against that. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, that's what he's talking to men there, but let's be honest, that, that the same goes for women. Uh, if we look at others with lust in our hearts, it's, it's that concept of committing adultery it's serious whatever whatever sort of area of the spectrum we might find ourselves on so i wonder if that's just a helpful corrective that rather than just looking down on other people we need to accept that actually many of us if not all of us need help in this area we need we need god's help we need to we need his spirit if we're to honor him if we are to honor our spouses if we're married it says, doesn't it, in verses 1 and 2, we, we, we want to live to please God. And we want to, it's a, it, Paul says, do this more and more. Actually, that's, that's what we want to be doing, isn't it? It's, it's a lifetime battle, but moving, moving, toward, moving that way, and fighting, and living to please God in the power of the Spirit. Secondly, 
it's vital to be open and honest about your sexual sin. Now, it seems to me that sexual sin flourishes in the darkness. I guess in one sense it flourishes literally in darkness. Maybe it's often something that happens at night. It happens in secret, but also spiritually. Uh, These verses from 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You know what, sexual sin withers and dies when we walk in the light, when we expose it, when we kill it in our lives with God's help. And part of that is, of course, confessing to God and bringing it before him, but also other believers and finding people you trust who you're able to be honest with and open with, who can help you and encourage you in this. Uh, I remember in my gap year, actually, it was... Yeah, we, we got really close together as brothers in that place. There, there were five or six of us living together. And I just remember one, one, one day, I think we, we were praying together, and someone just opened up and just openly talked about how they were struggling with lust and pornography. And I was sitting there going, what's he doing? You're not supposed to talk about stuff like that. No, no one really talks about this sort of thing, do they? It kind of floored me. I just thought... I can't believe he's, he's doing that. I can't believe he's got the confidence maybe to do that. And it was really helpful probably for the rest of us because it kind of opened the door for us to share about our own struggles with lust and, and other sins. And it's, it can be a real lie that we believe that actually the, the lie in our head is I'm the only one struggling in this area. I mean, the statistics we started with prove that is not true. But it grows, it gets worse if we don't reach out for help, if we just kind of let it fester and don't really know who to turn to. But that is the reality. The reality is that both, for both men and women, uh, we struggle in these areas. It might look different in different areas, different ways. But let me just say, if that's you this afternoon, if you're trapped in a particular area of serious sin, whether it's pornography or masturbation or, or even adultery, then let me encourage you, please, please come into the open, come into the light. Seek God's help. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to someone else in the church that you trust. Because actually that's the first step to to understanding what God has done for you and and finding escape and and help from that. You know, I'm just really passionate about seeing KCC as a church that we, we should be a safe place to be open about our struggles, whether sexual or other struggles. If you think about, just think about the people who were drawn to Jesus. They were the sinners and the prostitutes. They were sexual sinners that the rest of society poured hatred on. But they were welcomed and they were changed by his love. That is what we want to be, shouldn't it be, as as a church? That that we want to welcome everyone. And I'm just, yeah, I'm passionate for that to be possible here uh, in our church. Now that's not saying we want to tolerate it, it's not saying we want to celebrate it in any way, but it's about bringing it into the open and asking for God's help to to kill our sin in our lives, to grow in that that self-control, to be empowered by the Spirit. God can do that. He will do that if we are uh, open with each other, if we're open with him. 
Now it's worth saying that if you are in a serious struggle with sin or in adultery even, then there is potential for very painful consequences as it is brought into the open, as it is worked through. But let me say, <clears throat> it's, it's worth it. It's worth going through those, facing, that, facing up to that pain and knowing Christ's love for you and, uh, and seeking his forgiveness rather than just wallowing and falling away and festering and never really understanding God's love for you. It's, it, it's worth that sacrifice to know that you are Christ's. Thirdly, we must flee. We must flee from sexual temptation. Uh, in Thessalonians, he says you must avoid it. In Corinthians, he says flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee, escape, run away. It's like, you know, one of those scenes in the movie where some big explosion happens and suddenly everyone is running down the street in the opposite direction. Everyone is fleeing as fast as they can, getting away from it. That's, that's how we want to kind of react to, to, to sexual sin. That's why I chose that picture in particular for, the, for that slide. It's kind of escape the danger, get, get away from it. Uh, do all you can to flee. As Paul says in Corinthians, it's dangerous. It affects our bodies. It affects our minds. It's a sin against ourselves in a lot of way that, in in a way that a lot of sins are not. So, what does it look like? What does it look like to flee temptation? There's a few. There's lots of things, and it's probably different for each one of us. But a few possibilities. Maybe for some of us, it is real radical removal. So, remember in Mark nine, Jesus says, "If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out." It's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. It's worth any cost. Now, that's not necessarily saying you must literally pluck out your eyes because you can imagine, can't you? You walk down the street, you look lustfully, you pluck out one eye, and then, I don't know, the next day you do the same, you're suddenly blind. <laughs> it's saying that you take radical steps. So maybe it's things like just getting rid of temptation, getting rid of your phone, your computer, your TV, getting rid of just, just removing it. It's better to do that than, than to face the temptation. For some of us, it might mean seeking out accountability partners and, and software. That's particularly helpful with the struggle with pornography. Uh, it's someone to talk with and pray with. And it's software that sends alerts to, to another computer that if you're looking at something unhelpful, you, you know, someone's going to challenge you on it. It's a good barrier. It's a good thing to put in place. It might well just be avoiding that and trying to escape tempting situations you know if you're aware that it's when you're on your own late at night and you're in front of the tv that's when you're going to be tempted learning the discipline of going to bed earlier just 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 getting out of those situations avoiding them if you're aware that maybe you've got to spend time with someone at work who has a tendency to flirt with you and you're just you're a bit worried about that then be prepared and and maybe ask for prayer and speak to a friend and say look ask me how it went later you know, was I able to honour Christ with how I was in that relationship, that friendship? Perhaps. I know, I know a man who, whenever he went to a hotel, would ask the people to to take the TV out of the room uh, before he went in, just to get rid of it, just to, to remove that temptation. Who cares? You know what what they thought of him for asking that? He said that it was more important uh, to to live holy lives. Maybe for some of us, it is just learning that that battle with our eyes where we tempted to, to stare at people in unhelpful ways. 
summertime's coming round, there'll be topless guys in the park, uh, you know, light, summery clothing, and learning to not look and, and look away quickly and control our eyes. It's part of that self-control. It's a conscious thing. I'm not saying that every time, you know, you look at someone of the opposite sex, that you're lusting after them. That's not what I'm saying. Because I think we can appreciate beauty in, in each other, in men and women, but it's perhaps an easy line to cross and it's something we need to be aware of. There's a few examples, but hopefully the concept is clear, isn't it? See how dangerous it is and escape. Run away as fast as you can. Flee in whatever way you can. Flee from it. Finally, we must be captured by a better vision. We must be captured by a better vision. This is, that's the title of a, a Tim Chester's book about the struggle with pornography. And I think it's, it's quite a helpful title, I think. Uh, you know, sexual sin is so dangerous because of how it impacts our hearts. And I've talked about the sort of practicalities of fleeing. They're really important. But actually, if that's all you put in place, it's kind of like just sticking a plaster on some gaping wound that's bleeding and, and couldn't possibly be healed just by a little plaster. There's always a way around those things. You can avoid the software and the filters. You could end up, you can easily just find yourself slipping into unhelpful situations. Actually, we need to work on our hearts. We need to, to have them captivated by something different. Because otherwise, we, we follow our hearts down dark paths. We, deep down, we end up believing that sexual sin is good somehow, so that, it, that it's enjoyable. And it might be in the short term, but ultimately, it leads to death. So to be captured by a better vision, it means to grow in our knowledge and our love for Jesus. It means really understanding what he has done for us on the cross. It means understanding that Jesus came to rescue us. They came to help us escape from all of our sin. And that's not on our best day when we, you know, we think we've, we've actually done a good job. That's on our worst day. When, you know, when the struggle with pornography was the worst it ever has been. Or when we sat and fantasised about that, that man or woman for hours. Even on that day, we committed adultery. He took our sin on himself when he died on the cross. He took the punishment completely so that we could have life. And if we come in repentance, if we confess our sin, if we are convicted of the evil that we have committed, he is gracious and he will forgive us of those things. He has reached into the pit. He has lifted us up. He has saved us. Now, when we realise that, when we get that in our heads and in our hearts, we realise the depth of that love, the depth of that sacrifice. When we get the vision clear in our hearts, then actually the desire for sexual sin is weakened, probably even removed. We think, well, how can we go back to those dark paths after everything that Jesus has done in changing my life? He has given us his spirit. He, he has made it no longer inevitable for us to, to give in to sin. And he calls us, you see that in verse 7, he calls us to live holy lives, different to, to those around us. Now that's only possible with his help, with his strength. But it is possible. Do you see that? It is possible. Paul is saying it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you will grow to be more holy. It's not, in, it, you know... It, 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 it's, gonna, it's going to happen if you're trusting in Jesus. And he delights. Living to please God, that was the title of the sermon. He is pleased when we fight our sin, when we trust his grace, trust his love. We can live to please him. 
We need to repent, don't we? It goes on in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That, that step is so important. We come to the cross, we see his love, his sacrifice poured out for us and we turn away from our sin, we, we turn our back on it. We ask for God's help to live differently, captured by that better vision of his love, of his care, that wonderful future that is ahead of us for trusting him. If you've not done that, if you're not a believer here today, do you see what, what an amazing thing it is to be forgiven of all your sin? You can come to him today if he's speaking to you now. Come and find me afterwards. We need to be captured by a better vision. And I think that also means recognising that actually we, we've got a better vision for, for sex. That actually recognising that God's design for sex is a good thing. The best thing. Uh, our culture will, will, will feed us lies and will say, look, sex is all about you and all about what you get out of it. It's all about your own desires. It's why people you know, look, look elsewhere, go and, go and commit adultery or look, look for things because you think it's all about me. And no, that's not the case if we enjoy sex as God intended. Within marriage, between one man and one woman, there's this honour. We, we, we give ourselves to each other and we can. We can enjoy a happy, healthy sex life because that's, that's how God has designed it. That's good, isn't it? We can give God glory with these things. It's part of that vision. And it does mean trusting him with that when temptation is strong. Uh, and um, maybe if, if you're single here and it feels like marriage is a long way off or, or not an option, it's a hard thing to keep fighting, but it's, it's possible to trust that God has your best interests at heart even if sex is not part of that plan. And actually you can know that his love is far better uh, than sex could ever be. Now look, there's much more that could be said. I've probably said more than enough. Um, I hope it's been challenging. I hope it's been helpful. If you want to talk more, you know, I'm very happy to talk and pray if you'd like to, to find some time this week. But there are some more verses here. I'm going to just talk about them for two or three minutes because there's something for us uh, here as well. My second kind of main point is this, that we need to lead a quiet life. Verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, we, if you read verses 9 and 10, there's this big reminder of how they're to love each other. He says, we don't need to write to you about that. You're doing that. You're loving each other really well. But then he says, but actually, it's important for you to lead a quiet life. And he comes back to that in the next letter. There's something going on here. Basically, it seems that there may be people in the church who were choosing not to work so that they would just live off of the kindness of, of others in the church. Basically, sponge off them. Uh, and Paul is really not impressed with their idleness, with, with their attitude. So he says, lead a quiet life. That, that's not just kind of, you know, be very quiet. That's kind of a peacefulness. Uh, not disrupting other people's lives. And minding their own business. That's not kind of nosiness. That's, that's kind of looking after your own affairs. Working with your hands. Working to provide for yourself and for your family. He also says why. It's important to do that. Because it's about being a witness to those outside the church. Earning that respect. Showing the difference the gospel has made in their lives. So they're not depending on, on other people in unhelpful ways. Now sometimes we do need to depend on each other, don't we? That's part of the Christian life. We, we, we love each other sacrificially. 
Think of the Good Samaritan. We want to love others like that. It's good. That's a good thing to love and care for each other. But it's not good to take advantage of that for the benefit of our own laziness. That's what Paul's saying. Now, I've spent a lot less time on this because I think the first point was maybe more relevant for our culture and time. And let's be honest, I've only been here in Kenilworth for six, seven months. It's very clearly not an idle place. People work hard. People uh, work hard for their own sake and also for the sake of others. There's really generous people that, that I've met. And I look at us as a church and I see people who are working hard. And that's a good thing. But before you pat yourself on your back too hard, I think there is a challenge here for us. Because I think probably for some of us, we need to hear that message that it's important to, to work and to, to honour God with what we do in our lives. But I wonder if actually for, for many of us, we need to hear a reminder that we need to honour God with how much we work. And that might actually mean working less hard. You know, we, we talk a lot about work-life balance, don't we? How about your work-love balance? Your work-love balance. That's the context, isn't it? That they need to love each other well in the church. And it's possible that actually if we're working too hard, we don't have the time that we should have to love others well. And we don't, maybe, we're not able to serve the church well, uh, like we might want to. It's possible, perhaps, that we even take advantage of others in the church who are less busy because we're working too hard ourselves. Now, I'm not thinking of any particular situation, just to be clear. I think it's just something helpful for maybe for us to think about and pray about. You see, don't we, that, that his desire for the church was for them to grow in love for each other. That is a desire that I have for the church here. We want to grow in love for each other, and that might mean working less hard so that we can commit time to each other, get to know each other well. This maybe, you know, maybe there's a challenge for, for those, if you're, if you're feeling like you're not working hard enough and, and there's idleness there, then there's a challenge. But either way, I think it's something we should, we should think about. It's a really practical passage, isn't it? Really is, you know, clearly kind of addressing some of the things that, that needed to be addressed in the church. We're going to be doing that in our home groups this week. You're very welcome to join us. If, you, if you've not been before, uh, come and speak to me or one of the, uh, someone else and we'll, we'll make sure you can find a group that will be right for you. Um, but yeah, I hope, I hope this has been helpful and challenging and encouraging to look at this passage. Whatever areas we're struggling with, whether it's work, whether it's sexual sin, we need to know that love of God. We need to, to know that there's hope for us if we come to him. Uh, we, need, yeah, we need him. So why don't we pray and ask for him to work in our lives. Loving Father, this is a challenging passage. I pray that you'd be at work in our hearts, bringing conviction where it is needed, encouragement where it is needed. Help us to be honest and open with each other about our struggles and help us walk in the light. Thank you that it is not an inevitable thing to struggle in the area of, of sexuality now, thanks to your spirit in us and thanks to your power. And I just pray that you would be transforming us bit by bit, helping us grow in love for each other, in love for you, walking in, in holiness. Help us reject anything that, that, that might be a draw from our, our old ways of life before we were believers. Help us to live for you. Help us to live to please you and honour you. In Jesus' name, amen.